cheeky back heel. With ease, Miguel Aziz, his first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smith Rowe, into the box, Smith Rowe scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. We're back with another episode of Away From Hale End. Sorry for missing last week, as you might still be able to hear in my voice. Had a little bit of a viral infection. Couldn't really talk all that well, so figure we'll take a week off. Not much happened. Honestly, quite a few games postponed for frozen pitches all around England. Uh, and so we didn't have much to talk about, but we've got a lot to talk about this week. Some players moving, some players making debuts on new teams, some new teams losing managers. I mean, just a little bit of everything, and we're going to try a little bit of some new formatting here on the podcast, always changing things up. Appreciate those who have reached out with some things that they want to hear uh, that they haven't heard so far and things that I can add to the podcast to keep it a little fresh, a little more interesting. But off the top, things we're going to go through during this episode, Charlie Patino now with a new manager, Michael Appleton, has been fired and Nick McCarthy has been brought in as Blackpool. Try to escape relegation. What will that mean for Charlie Patino? Uh, as he takes on a new role. We also talk about Brooke Norton Cuffey at his new club at Coventry. Two appearances so far already, and he's playing a little bit of a different role, one that might suit Mikel Arteta a little better than what he's previously been doing on loan, and that'll be an interesting thing to talk about. We have Flo Balagoon, who continues to be firing Miguel Aziz, making his debuts for Wigan, only for Colo Torre and Kevin Betsy to be fired as well, as Wigan sit dead last in the championship. And then, of course, a topic we've been covering for months at a time, the disappointment of our players in the Netherlands and the kind of playing time that they've been getting. And to round it off, of course, we'll do our goalie segment as both of our big-name goalies were recalled and sent out on loan to top-tier, top-division sides in different countries. So a lot of interesting things to go over today, but back to the top, we'll lead off with Charlie Patino because he's always a hot subject, he's always a hot topic. There's so much pro Charlie Patino stuff all over Twitter. Everyone just can't wait to see what he'll do at Arsenal and when that will come. And to be honest, there is some speculation about why his extension hasn't been signed. Uh, We know that Arsenal triggered a one-year extension that was in his contract already. That was a clause that they were able to trigger. But Charlie is waiting to put pen to paper until he understands his role at the club. He wants to play first-team football for Arsenal as soon as next year. And he doesn't want to be sitting on the bench week in and week out. He wants to know what his role will look like. And as we all know, this January, we've not only shown interest in multiple central midfielders, uh, Moises Caicedo, uh, Ibrahima Bamba, Zubamendi, I mean, the list goes on and on. But we've also made it clear, and Declan Rice has made it clear, that he's our number one target, and that deal seems to be pretty far across the line. And honestly, if West Ham were closer in the middle of the table and not worried about relegation, I wouldn't be surprised if we were able to push that transfer through during this window. But we'll wait for Rice in the summer. And that begs the question, where does that leave Charlie Bettino? If we bring in two midfielders for fairly large sums, where does that leave Charlie Bettino? Because we'll have Smith Rowe, Vieira, Odegaard, Xhaka, Partey, plus two more midfielders. Lakanga probably on the way out, although Arsenal refused to let him go this window as we need the depth. Obviously, on any long-term injury, it looks like, probably has either played his last game for Arsenal or won't be back till the end of the year, and that will be the end of his time at Arsenal. So where does Charlie Patino fit in? And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's a good chance that somebody in that midfield goes away this summer, other than Lukonga. If we're really going to bring in 
Kasaido and Rice, or Bamba and Rice, or Zubamendi and Rice, or two players of any of those four, there's not enough room for Charlie Patino. And he's very well liked at the club. He's very well liked by Arteta. That's not a player they're going to be willing to let go, and it's not a player they're going to be willing to let run out his contract with one year left on it. So they're going to have to figure out what the plan is with him. And you know what? Granit Xhaka has been an excellent servant to the club, and I hope he doesn't leave because he's a leader and a captain. But he may start to get phased out next year. Uh, I don't think he'll be sold. I mean, that would really shock me, especially you know if we're able to do what we look like we're doing right now for the rest of the year. He's a crucial member. But the likely signing of Rice plus another defensive midfield prospect makes Granit Xhaka's role questionable. He, he will lose his starting role. I think Declan Rice will play in his role and one of Casaido and Bamba would be the you know rotation option to Partey. And that would put Patino as the backup option to that left eight, uh, with Vieira and ESR filling in, in in either position, depending on opponent, depending on control. I think Smithrow also seen as a solid winger option. So Charlie Patino is waiting to sign that extension to learn what is coming next for him and where he fits into Arsenal's plan. And I think the fact that we've taken a bigger step forward this year than we originally planned has made things a little more complicated than we expected. But nonetheless, Charlie Patino has been excellent at Blackpool. They are in, you know, second to bottom in the league, but he has been a shining light. He is one of the best recovering and tackling midfielders in the championship, and he did that again here in a 90-minute uh, performance and a 2-0 loss to Watford that led to Michael Appleton's firing. <clears throat> you know, he was 28 of 36 passing. He converted four of six on his long balls, won all three of his tackles, and made three interceptions. And we've spoken a lot about his defensive contributions, but I think what makes him such an abnormal midfielder offensively and on the ball is what makes him such a good defender. He has such long strides uh, that make him look like he's moving in slow motion. It's kind of similar to how Ozil's long strides made him look like he was moving slow, but he actually glides past defenders and it also allows him to recover rather quickly. He makes up a lot of ground quickly. He doesn't actually have the burst that we talk about often with like a Thomas Partey where that first dribble or that drop of the shoulder looks like it's so fast and it bursts past defenders. But each stride he takes is making up ground. And I think that's a big reason why he's able to you know, be such a good defending and ball-winning midfielder. And it's also his surprising agility and athleticism where he can stretch and almost go to a split to make a tackle. And with his anticipation and intelligence... He gets in the way of so many plays and is such a disruptor. That's what I think has really, you know, made Charlie Bettino able to adapt to this level so quickly is that his physical attributes are so rare. And, you know, it's the same thing we saw with Brooke Norton Cuffey when he first made it to senior football. Is when you have physical attributes that most players don't have, it allows you to make that step rather quickly and shine rather quickly because you just look like a unicorn out on the pitch. Patino also, you know, obviously his on-ball skills are, are, are as good as anyone's. His passing is unbelievable. He really knows how to switch to play with ease on the ground, in the air, whatever it takes. And I'm interested to see what his role will be under Mick McCarthy, who is known for playing more of, you know, hoofball, long balls up over the top, surpassing the midfield. Where does Charlie Patino step in in that situation? Does he play as the deepest line, you know, midfielder and try and create from the back? Does he play more forward and try to win second balls off of headers? It'll be interesting to see. They didn't play this past weekend because of a frozen pitch, uh, so he has not played under Mick McCarthy yet. But we look forward to seeing how that goes. Uh, and I'm a little worried, but, you know, experience is experience. It's been a good loan spell so far. He's in a relegation battle, which 
That'll teach you one or two things about how to be strong mentally. And every point's going to matter for Blackpool and his fans going forward. And, uh, you know, a manager shakeup could actually be what they need. So let's see how that goes. Speaking of shakeups, Brooke Norton Cuffey, as I mentioned, made his move to Coventry, left Rotherham. And I was a little perplexed by this move at the start just because, you know, when you have consistent playtime or whatever at Rotherham and he was playing well, you know, you don't always want to, you know, mess with that. But I think I understand now why Brooke Norton Cuffey has been moved to Coventry. And it has to do with his role and his position in this side. It's an interesting formation they're set up. I mean, on paper, it's a three at the back with a five midfield uh, and two forwards. Or it's a three at the back with four midfield and three forwards, depending on how you look at it. You have the one big striker who's there to win long balls, knock it down to two players sitting underneath him. You have the three center backs who are playing, not narrowly at all, honestly, pretty wide, with the right center back coming almost all the way past the half spaces into that right back area often. So that allows for Brooke Norton Cuffey to kind of play as more of an inverted fullback, right midi, whatever you want to call him. He's playing in the half spaces a lot more similarly to how Arsenal play and how Arsenal target Ivan Fresneda plays, which is he gets in the half spaces, he finds little pockets there, that's how he beats the press. Yes, he has the burst to go down that wing, and he's going to use those skills all the time because that's one of the things he's best at. But he has to learn how to play in those tight areas. He has to learn how to receive the ball in those tight areas, how to play forward in those tight areas, in those little spaces in between the lines. And Coventry is a place where he's being asked to do that quite a bit more than anywhere else he's had to do. Not at Lincoln and not at Rotherham, where he was really a full right wing back, five at the back player who is bombing down the wings. And, you know, in this first match, uh, it was 89 minutes in his debut. He, he was a 1-0 loss to Burnley, who are top of the table and, quite frankly, would probably be a mid-table to lower mid-table side in the Premier League, the way Vincent Company has them playing. And he did pretty well. I mean, he wasn't on the ball much. They were dominated in possession. Well, 10 or 15 passing. He only had one successful dribble out of four, which was a fantastic move where he received the ball. A player went to ground to try to tackle it, and he spun him easily, creating an attacking opportunity. But he only won two out of 12 duels. Uh, he had a very tough matchup defensively against Zarai, who's one of the best wingers in the championship, if not the best. Um, and he was trying to learn new spaces and new areas. And you could tell he was a little uncomfortable on where he was supposed to be, both offensively and defensively, uh, how to, when you receive the ball there, how to correctly orient your body to receive and, and be able to play quickly. And those are things that he's going to have to learn. And it's way better he's learning it now on loan at a club that doesn't affect Arsenal long term than it would be trying to learn in training and then applying it on the pitch. In a season next year when, if he's a part of the first-team squad, I mean, not jinxing us, we're likely to be Champions League, in Champions League. I mean, if we're not in Champions League, it's one of the great collapses in the history of sport. So it's not like he's going to be playing Europa League if he's getting his chances. He's either going to be playing in the Premier League or the Champions League if he's going to be the guy who's spelling Bren White and giving him a rest. So this is a great area for him to be working on. Um, he, in his second match... He found a little bit more success. Uh, it was a 4-2 loss to Norwich, which was crazy. There were five goals in the first 30 minutes. Uh, Brooke Norton Cuffey played 67 minutes in this match. Only four of eight passing. He did have a sort of assist on a completed cross. Uh, it's They did not give the goal to Giorgiris, but Brooke Norton Cuffey played an excellent, excellent cross into him. He took one touch to control it and went to fire it, uh, and Casey Palmer came in and actually fired the ball that Giorgiris also swung out. Like if you look at the replay, you actually can't tell who scored. Uh, so it wasn't an assist, but basically 
for all intents and purposes, an assist uh, and a chance created, to say the least. Uh, he did better in uh, ground duels in this match, winning 5 out of 12 ground duels. Again, I think people underestimate when you're in new spaces what it does to your confidence and your aggression and your ability to feel comfortable going into a challenge and making sure you're not you know, giving up your positioning. I will say he looked a lot more comfortable receiving the ball. Obviously something he's working on in training, uh, being in those spaces. He was doing a little too much walking defensively uh, after Coventry lose a ball. Not after he loses a ball, but when Coventry lose the ball, they're kind of quickly able to be broken in transition because of how wide their three at the back plays. And oftentimes, Jordan Cuffey is walking a little before he sprints back. And, and two of the goals were on his side of the pitch where I'm not saying he would have gotten back into position, but it makes a difference. And if he wants to play under Arteta, there's no walking allowed. It's Look at Bukayo Saka. He is the best player on our team. He's become world-class, probably the best winger in the league. And he makes defensive contributions multiple times a game. You never see him walking back. He's always sprinting back, always covering for Ben White. If Brooke Norton Cuffey wants to play at Arsenal, he's going to need to do that. And he's going to need to show Arteta that he's a relentless worker. There are certain things about Brooke Norton Cuffey that haven't changed. He's still an incredibly creative dribbler in the way that he sees space. He's not the most technical dribbler. He's not going to beat you with tricks and twists. He's going to beat you by identifying that he has the pace to beat you identifying that there's just enough space for him to play the ball around you and to make it happen because he's physically going to blow by you and then he's going to be gone and then he can create a chance. The only thing I will say is he's started to do this thing and I think it's because of this role where he's so often a little closer to the box and he's more comfortable crossing from wider areas that he's taking a touch away from the goal to put his cross in. And that's a bad habit to be in. You want to drive towards the goal to make a cross. You want defenders to be more uncomfortable to maybe drag towards you to give your strikers more area in that box to pounce. So, uh, again, he's going to get used to this position, and this is why I believe he's been sent to Coventry. But I'm interested to see how long it takes him to do that. But he's got a good striker to do it with, a good striker who he can link up with. Midfield is getting stronger. They're, they're bringing in quite a few players, Coventry, this window. They're trying to make a push for that promotion Seven points off of sixth place. So they're going to really make a push here. And huge, huge games coming up for Brooke Norton Cuffey. We'll stay in the championship. I was going to go to France, but we'll just stay in the championship because prior to the news of Colo Torre and Kevin Betsy being fired from Wigan, which is understandable, they sit dead last, I was really enjoying Miguel Aziz's first two appearances for the club. I thought he was in much better spaces for him to operate and to be comfortable. I thought especially in his debut, he was aggressive. He was finding himself in those areas near the box and towards the top of the box where he can score from, where we've seen him do so well for the academy. And I thought he really understood positionally where to be off the ball, which I think he's struggled at Ibiza with. I think he struggled at Portsmouth a lot with that because he was really played in a much more advanced position than he's used to. And so I'll be interested to see who the next manager is, hasn't been announced, and how that changes their formation and where Aziz is placed. But all we can do is talk about what's already happened, uh, where Aziz made his debut in a 1-1 draw with Cardiff, came on, played the second 45 minutes. He had three shots on target in this match, creating an XG of almost half a goal, a little over half a goal. Uh, he was 13 of 18 passing. He made two chances that he created, one big chance missed, which is a little tough. I mean, I think that... Again, the eye test is always better than stats. The big chance he missed was a ball was played in over the top to him. He received it on a half volley around the six-yard box, 
but he was at full extension on a ball that bounced up to shoulder width height, and he tried to get a foot on it to you know poke it in, and it went over the goal. It would have been a fantastic goal if he scored it. It's only a big chance missed because of where he made contact with the ball in relativity to the goal. Uh, he was one of one on his tackles. He made six recoveries. You know, to be f- completely honest, his first two passes were horrendous when he came on. Both of them, he received the ball on in his own third, right at the corner of the box, and gave the ball away cheaply immediately. And he was frustrated with himself. Hands up in the air, very frustrated with himself. It was like, here we go again, almost. But he quickly came back and was firing and, and, and involved in the game. He made a great run into the box where he was found by a teammate, but the ball was just out of reach, as I mentioned, uh, and he hit it over. Then he found multiple two balls later in the match that fell to him towards the top of the box that you know he got very good contact on, but you know tons of people in the box blocked by multiple. Played mostly in that left center mid role that I said he's very comfortable in. Shifted into the heart of midfield uh, in a three man midfield in the center towards the end of the match just to finish it out. But overall, great appearance for him, a great debut, and the most comfortable I've seen him look in senior football. And it was in his first you know match in a new system, which is impressive. Uh, he then got the chance to start in a 2-0 loss to Luton Town. Uh, he played 59 minutes. He's 26 of 31 passing, 1 of 1 on successful dribbles, 3 out of 5 ground duels, won his only aerial duel. And honestly, in this match, Wigan were pinned much further back. Uh, didn't have the kind of control they had against Cardiff. Aziz didn't get to get forward nearly as much as he did uh, in the previous match, but he made a few nice plays in tight spaces, helped Wigan keep possession and, and try to play forward. But that kind of match is what's been the norm for Wigan, where they really have no control on the game. And, and that's why Colatore was fired. And it's understandable. It's unfortunate he only got the job in November. But when you're talking about the difference between the championship and League One, it's not so much about the major differences just in the money between those two leagues, but that can set you back. It's harder to attract new players when you're in League One. Staying in the championship is huge because you're always one season away from being in the top flight. And you have to understand at Wigan, for Wigan, they're not far off. I mean, it's not impossible for them to escape, and that's the key right now. So we'll see how that affects Aziz. Uh, Hopefully not too bad, and hopefully it's in a good way. Hopefully he gets to continue to play in a comfortable role and continues to to succeed. Speaking of players who have succeeded, especially under new managers, Fuller and Balagoon is just on fire. This guy, as an American, I pray to God every day that he decides to play for the U.S. of A. Because if he's leading the line... For the in the World Cup in 2026 that's played in, in the U.S. will be a serious threat. We seriously will. Our players will be reaching their prime. Balogun will have four years of European football under his belt by that time. And he's perfect for that system. Whether or not Berhalter stays on, the system that we're going to play is going to include a lot of mobile forwards who can play, you know, rotate across the front line and, and interplay. And that's something that Balogun has been incredibly impressive at this year. He played two matches since we last spoke. Uh, 90 minutes against Nice in a nil-nil draw, which Nicolas Pepe was on the other side of. He had two shots on target, generating almost half of an XG. Uh, 9 of 13 passing, one big chance missed. However, he only won one of 13 duels in this match. You know, these things happen. Especially as a striker, sometimes you find yourself isolated, you find yourself pressing relentlessly, you can't get on the ball enough. At least he's trying to make something happen. You have to go into duels. Uh, The first shot he had was early on. Bouncing ball came into the box. He fired it with his left foot on the half volley. Struck it really sweetly, actually, but tight angle hit it right at the goalie. Second shot, he received a through ball around the middle of the opposition half. This was his big chance that he had. 
Uh, he had a goalie on his right shoulder. I mean, I'm sorry. He had a defender on his right shoulder chasing him. Somewhat a 1v1 with the goalie, but not really. If he, you know, he had to keep driving left to keep his space from the center back. Again, fired low and hard with his left foot. Pretty much right at the goalie again. The angle got a little bit too tight. Uh, but good to see him getting in those areas. A nil-nil draw. Reams have been on fire with their new manager. Very hard to break down. And Balagoon getting himself into some really nice areas and receiving the ball over the top a lot more. And in his next match, and in previous matches as well, you see him calling for the ball constantly. He is hanging on the back shoulder of that defender, knowing when to make the runs. It's really impressive how intelligent he's become as a center forward. Uh, in the next match, as I mentioned, he played 66 minutes in the Coupe de France that they won 3-0 against Les Herbiers, who are a much lower league side, I will be honest. But nonetheless, Foe scored and won the penalty to score that penalty. But he could have had five, six goals in this match. He had five shots total, two on target. He was eight of eight passing, two big chances missed, had a key pass, and won three out of four duels. This was his most wasteful match in front of goal, far and away, and he still got a goal. Against a lower league side, again. But two unbelievable chances early in the match where he found himself one-on-one -on -one with the keeper and just could not control the ball with his first touch, which has not really been his problem. Uh, and so when he finally got the shot away, either the goalie had closed him down already or he had made the angle too tight. So he wasn't able to score then. He actually, when he drew his penalty, a similar thing happened. He was played through on goal, took not such a great first touch and took him wider than he wanted to be. But he improvised well. Dribbled around the keeper. Keeper took him out. He was looking for the penalty, but nonetheless, he was smart about it. Won the penalty, coolly slotted it home. Uh, had an amazing chance to score a second early in the second half where a ball came bouncing to him. Goalie had come out too late, and all he had to do was chip it over the goalie to score, but the goalie, I'm sorry, but Flo hit it just a little too hard. He was angry with himself. Had another one later on where he received the ball, 1v1 with the goalie, and just shanked it wide and high. But nonetheless, you like to see him getting in the right positions. That's step one. If you look at every single most big chances missed statistical graph, all the best strikers are there because it's about getting yourself in the right positions and the goals will come. You can't score every goal or you're early Holland. And even he's at the top of a lot of those lists. That's just the way it goes. Good movement is the number one thing when it comes to strikers. The goals will come. Nonetheless, a good week for Flo. Big matches ahead uh, and love to see him continuing to score. That is the key. Staying with our strikers, Nikolai Moeller played 45 minutes against FC Eidenhoven in a 4-1 loss. Won a couple of aerial duels. He created a chance for a teammate. You know, I I'm going to talk more about both these performances when I get to the end of the second one. Played the final 33 minutes against Jong PSV in a 1-0 win in which Den Bosch scored a worldie to win the match late on. Uh, three out of three aerial duels won in that match. It's honestly, I watch, as you guys know, I watch a lot of lower league football. And this team is the hardest for me to watch of any team I've watched in the last five years. Den Bosch are horrific at creating chances. They're weak at the back. They leave Muller. They have a structure to basically play long to Muller to win headers and win the ball aerially to then feed their wingers. However... He'll win that first ball, but there's nobody sitting beneath him to win the second ball. So he's got no one to win a header to. There, there's no one to create to. He doesn't receive the balls in dangerous areas. The wingers are selfish and rarely cross. They're always shooting from distance. It's it's boring football to watch. It, it's 
I, I mean, I, I'm a little upset that Mueller's stuck here now for it's going to be 18 months, not getting the opportunities he needs to succeed. And, it, you know, it's, I mean, you, nobody's faultless in any situation, but it, it's going to be hard for him at this point to, you know, prove his worth to Arsenal and for him to succeed at the club it, it is is unlikely at this point. I just wish this had turned out differently because he's such a unique profile. It's such an interesting player to watch. He has so many raw skills that you can't teach. And to see it go this way for two years is just unfortunate. I, I do think wherever he ends up next, it needs to be a place that understands his skill set and knows how to use his skill set because under the right management, he is a special, special player. Staying in the Netherlands, Mika Beerith. Finally staying healthy and getting minutes. Played 72 minutes against FC Volendam in a 2-1 loss. 15 of 20 passing, 3 shots on target. Uh, his expected goals on target created was around .6. He had a ch chance created. He was had a successful dribble. This player is just unbelievable. I mean, we're so blessed with striker talent between Nketiah, Balogun, and Biarith. It's unfortunate there's literally no way for all of them to succeed at Arsenal, but... Mika Biarreth's technical qualities are, are, are beyond belief. His first touch is insane. He, he, there was a point in this match where he received a line drive pass while he was backpedaling towards goal. And he fully outstretched, got one toe on it to flick it up to himself. Then with that same toe, while the ball was in the air, found a teammate in a dangerous area in the box who then shot wide. I mean, when that ball was played, I was like, this is a terrible ball. And all of a sudden, Biarreth tracks it down. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. He shows himself to the ball in so many unique areas, making him a nightmare for defenders to try and mark. He always finds the best pass to create for teammates, whether it's backwards, forwards, down the line. He knows where to play balls in. And once he gets in a groove into a match, like he did early in the second half, he becomes unplayable. Early in the second half, Beerth made a fantastic run, found himself in space down the line. A ball was played in. He played a great low, hard ball across the six-yard box was blocked back towards him. He had outstretched to make that cross across. So he is now laying on the floor. The ball comes back to towards his area while he's on the floor. He sticks a toe out on the floor, controls it, stands up, beats a player, shoots low and hard across the box, only for the goalie to save it, and leave it for his teammate. I'm not kidding, a wide open net. In maybe two yards out, and his teammate flies it over the bar. But nonetheless... Mika Biarith, these are just the simple things he does in every single match. He's constantly creating. His finishing could use a little bit of work. He, he probably should have a goal or two already in the last few matches, but the creation is unlike anyone else on this team. He's he's also become, and I, I keep referencing this article, where they interviewed Biarith on The Athletic, and he talks about how the first time he was in first-team training with Arsenal, he went up against Gabriel trying to pin him and realized that pinning is so much more than just using your body. It's about understanding timing it's about understanding where to shield and Beareth since then to me has become such a good back to goal player he in this match was shielding with his back to goal received a cross around the top of the box to his feet just between the penalty spot and the top of the box he then spun his defender and fired to the top right corner goalie made a great save but again very unlucky not to score in this match I am definitely going to do a little breakdown on this 15 minute spell that he had I might do a little on the first half but on Twitter in the coming days because it's special. I mean, this is very special. He reminds me of Broha last year at Southampton. I'm excited about Mika Breerith. I'm excited to watch him. And then for him to not start in this next match against Rotterdam that ended nil-nil was just an absolute shame. He played the final 19 minutes, 
7 of 11 passing. He had two shots blocked, uh, won two out of three ground duels, and converted his only long ball. He's just such an important player to their creativity and, and ability to score, and it just doesn't make sense to me how you could leave a player like him out of your team when you are when you need goals and you need creativity. It, it's frustrating. And there's no, there's nothing more frustrating than... I was going to wait till the end to do this, because I always do, but it's too prominent in my mind. Just, we got to stay in the Netherlands for one more second. Omar Rekik now... Other than the odd minute here and minute there he's used as a substitute to basically end matches. Has not played all season. How can Arsenal not recall him? I I think we've done excellently with our loans. And I think the movement in January has been shocking, but incredibly tactical and incredibly intelligent. And and we're not wasting a second. But with Omar Rekik, it feels like we're wasting a year. A year of his development. A crucial year of his development. And uh, I just don't know how that could be. There's got to be stuff going on in the background deciding what he's going to do, but they are now have, what, five days to decide what to do with Omar Rekik. And leaving him in, in Rotterdam doesn't make any sense to me. He's not even the first defender off the bench when a defender gets injured or has to come out. He's not the first center back off the bench. So I just can't understand it. And I'm not the only one. Even George Bird, who is the guy who knows everything about Arsenal youth, can't understand it. So we'll see what happens. It, it's, it's pretty absurd. But Omar Rekik needs to be recalled in the next five days and, and a new loan found. Or just recall him and let him play with the academy. He needs to be playing matches. This is just crazy. Anyways, back to players who actually do play or in this situation aren't playing after spectacular performances. Tim Akinola was awesome against West Brom as we spoke in the FA Cup and ended in a 3-3 draw. The replay comes around and they lose 4-0 and he only plays the last 25 minutes when the game's already out of reach. Can't understand that, possibly. He was crucial to the 3-3 draw. And then he only played one minute against Altrincham in the league, which ended in a 1-0 win, yes. But, I don't know, the Tim Akinola curse continues to, to, to be a thing. There's just no other way to describe it. Over to Scotland, we have Ryan Albiosu, who made his return from injury, finally, after about a month out. Played the final three minutes against Celtic in a 2-0 loss. Then he played the full 90 against Rangers in a 3-2 loss, which was, you hear 3-2 loss, and you're like, oh, it was a tight game. Kilmarnock had 22% possession. I think in their two matches with Rangers this year, combined, if you combine their two percentage possessions, they've had 40% possession in two matches. 40 out of 200%. They're averaging like 20% possession against Rangers. Uh, But, you know, Alaviosu didn't get to be on the ball too much in this match 10 of 17 passing three out of six ground duels one uh and you know they were dominated by rangers but good to see him back on the pitch staying in scotland alex kirk played the full 90 in a 2-2 draw with arborath that's his second match back from injury he's back playing the full 90s and getting results for ire united uh the last two major things to talk about arthur Aconquo was recalled from crew alexandra and sent to sturm graz who are in second in the first division of austria he has now played in two friendlies with them with the first team, while their other keeper, who has been the first choice keeper, has been playing his friendlies with squad players and reserves. So it seems like Okonkwo has gone there to be the first goalie. Wasn't really worried. Arsenal wouldn't have made this move if that wasn't the case. But great experience playing in a top division with a top side. And our other goalie, who has been excellent, Ovi Ejahiri, was recalled from Shelbsford and sent to SJK Sinajoki. Probably not saying that right. Finnish side in the top division. He made his debut in the second 45 minutes of a friendly, and he didn't give up a goal. 
So those two guys now in top divisions in Europe, great experience for them both on and off the pitch, really going to teach them a lot about senior football. Uh, last couple guys to talk about, Marcelo Flores, now on the bench for four consecutive matches without playing a singular minute, hasn't featured since December 11th. you got to think a recall has to be an option at this point, and his future at Arsenal becoming more and more uncertain. Just based off what I'm hearing from some people and what his dad's tweeting about, little worried about his future at Arsenal. He is a you know a talent that I would have thought Arteta would have really liked. Uh, Mazita Gungbo has not played since December 30th for Crawley Town. They've had a few matches in a row postponed due to frozen pitches. Tyrese John Jewell's not back from injury. Salah Adidu Lottam Hand not back from injury. Tom Smith has been benched since the Wrexham match on January 10th. Not sure what's going on there. And Harry Clark has joined Ipswich Town permanently, likely around a £1 million fee. Makes sense. I've been saying all year he's going to transfer at the end of the year. He's not an Arsenal player, but good to get a fee for him. And, and he'll team up with Tyrese John-Jules over there at Ipswich as they try to get promoted to the championship. And last but not least, I've spoken about him before, but Alexi Rojas, young goalkeeper in the academy. He's a special, special talent. He's been representing Colombia far above his age group for years. He is representing them at the under-20 South American Championships as just 17 years old as the backup goalie. He's not featuring, but he's on the bench getting that experience. And we're very blessed at goalie at Hale End at the moment, and it's a very exciting time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Away From Hell End. Please keep letting me know what you want to hear about, and let's see if there's some final shakeups here in the last five days of the transfer window. But if there are, you will follow me on Twitter, and you'll see them live before we talk about them on our next episode.